Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. I've been watching a uh, TV series with Bear Grylls called The Toughest Race in the World. Anybody watch that already uh, on primetime? Here, here's, here's kind of the, re, this is a confession. Brenda and I don't, we try not to binge watch things, but we binge watched about four episodes, and it was about 9.30 at night when we got through the, the fourth one, and just watching it made us so tired we had to go to bed. We didn't do anything, we didn't get off our couch, but just watching the toughest race exhausted us. And in fact, what it is, it's, it's, it's an endurance race, and it is, this one was held in uh, Fiji, and it was 670-some-odd kilometers. I don't know what that is in miles, but it's a lot. And it had 11 days to go that far. I'm thinking, 11 days? I'm not sure I could get to 60 miles in 11 days, but they had bikes, they had hiking, they had mountain climbing, they had rafting, they had kayaks, and they were on oceans, they were in mountains. They had an incredible journey, and they had to have all kinds, and there there was a teams of five, and these teams had to, uh, somebody had to be an incredible navigator. Every person on, has to, every team had to have somebody that had 70 hours of EMT training. Some, every person there basically had to be an Ironman triathlete. They had to have incredible endurance I mean, I couldn't even have stayed up with their camp manager, who was the fifth person. Uh, and what, what was... Uh, and so why am I telling you this story? Well, one of my favorite verses in the Scripture, and this one's not on the slides, guys, but it's been kind of a verse that's really uh, been one of my life verses. I have a bunch of those. But this one has been kind of my life verse in reference to where I'm going. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Then another verse down below that. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Every one of us are on a journey if we're following Jesus. And you know where that journey is? It's to the Father. It's to, we're, and we're going to go from strength to strength. So I want us to look, I want us to talk about the idea of, and today's message is, where on the map am I? Because one of the things I was, in that, in that show, uh, what they did is they took all these athletes and they showed them the route. And they told them, they, they had a map of the route. And they even described some of the topography of the map. And they to- showed them some stations where they could stop and get some rest and provision. And they told them what parts of the map would be 
rafting down uh, class four and five rapids. It told them where they would be going on the ocean. It told them where they would be hiking mountains and where they would be doing mountain climbing. And, this, and, and it even spelled out every phase of the, the journey. <laughs> what it couldn't tell them is how difficult it would be for them to stay on the trail. Because some places there was no trail. They just had to be able to navigate very well and stay oriented. And so today, the whole purpose of what I'm trying to do with us as a church, as a people, is where are we? Where am I with where are we? And I thought it was quite appropriate that there were five members of each team. There's a minimum of five members. And here's an interesting thing. If one member of the team falls out, the whole team has to quit because we never leave anyone behind. And so that was an important ingredient. And by the way, I found out later that the producers of this whole show and this race are the, um, uh, some of the same Christians that have presented some amazing uh, films uh, that, are, that are better than your typical Christian film. Excuse me, I didn't mean to say that. but <clears throat> Could you hand me a glass, some water? All right, let's, let's read the... the so let me, let me give you kind of four things we're going to serve, uh, look up today. Kind of maps are, are little... You know how on the old-timey maps, any of you ever seen an old-timey map, not a Google map, but an old-timey map? You know what I'm talking about? And it would have, it would have the, the state of Missouri, but then over here, blown up real big, would be the city of St. Louis. And, and we're going to... So there's, there's those kind of maps. And so there's the, there's the map of the journey... And so here's the four points we're going to talk about today. I'm going to tell you where we're going, and then we're going to go examine each one of them. The first one is, where am I in the culture? And my question is, the last days? The next one is, where am I in my life's journey? What are the distinctive landmarks that I need to be aware of? Then, then the next one is, where am I in the church of the living God or those other four teammates. And we're going to discuss kind of the distinctive spheres of church we find in the Bible. And then the last one is, where am I in the discipleship process? And you go, is that a map point? No, that's how you get through the endurance race, the toughest race in the world. So let's, let's start with where am I in the culture? And the first verse that we're going to look at is a verse a lot of us are very familiar with, Isaiah 60. You want to throw that up there? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness the people's. But the Lord rises upon you. Nations will come to the light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So I love the way that verse is very, very 
uplifting, positive, affirming, God is going to shine on you. But he has this one little phrase. Thick darkness is over the people. Darkness covers the earth. In other words, that's the trek that you're going to have to go through. Your pilgrimage is going to take you through some really dangerous territory. It's like Frank Baum's novel uh, that turned into the movie, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Oh no, there's lions and tigers and bears. Oh no. And there's obstacles and there's opposition. And so let's look at a minute at what the Bible says about what that territory looks like. Another verse that I want us to look at, I'm going to try not to do too much teaching on these verses. Now, the Spirit expressly, I I love it when Paul says something like that. You know, the Spirit said something, but he expressly said, in other words, I think Paul was saying to young Timothy, get this, listen up. Expressly says in the latter times of the last days, some will depart from the faith. I am absolutely believing as your pastor that I'm not talking to a single one of you about that part giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrine is a word Paul uses quite a bit in the 1st in the, uh, uh, and 2nd Timothy. It's one of the more frequent times in all of the Scripture that he uses those terms. So he's talking to a young, uh, itinerant, apostolic leader who is helping to raise up churches, and he's talking to him about good doctrine. Now, Doctrine, the word is kind of falling on hard times, and a lot of us don't like that word and completely understand it's been used to hit people over the head. But it really just simply means instruction and training and teaching. Good instruction, training, and teaching that are faithful to what Jesus has taught us. That's really all it means. And so it's critically important that we have really good doctrine. But guess what? There's also another kind of doctrine, and it's the doctrine. This Satan is a rec- expert at, at writing. He is a legalist too. So let's, uh, let's ne- read the next verse out of 2 Timothy. <coughs> now, out of 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 17. And I'm going to probably not read all of it. But I am going to read a little more than we normally do. Uh, Timothy admonished, was admonished to be devoted to the public reading of Scripture. So I'm going to, I want, let's, let's read this together. I'm in NIV. But mark this. But, you know, it's also, you get this impression. Paul is really earnest that he's getting Timothy's attention. There will be terrible times. King James says perilous times in the last days. And then he begins to describe the territory that, that we're going to have to go through. And the people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money boastful, proud, abusive. I mean, there's never been any abuse on Facebook or Instagram, but disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Look at this, brutal, not lovers of good. And I, I, every one of these, I could stop and we could do a social commentary that would, would make us all kind of go out of here and go, the world is a really wicked and very bad place. Well, they're treacherous, they're rash, they're conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having 
A, now, this is an interesting interjection. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Always learning, skip down to verse 7, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved mind. You, however, know all things about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose. I'm just skip down to verse 10, excuse me. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance. There's that endurance word. Persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happen to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Put that on your refrigerator and memorize it. That's a good promise. (laughs) While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Paul, I'm about to be depressed. But did you notice that he says this? Deceiving and being deceived. It's like they actually begin to believe their own lies. But as for you, continue in what you've learned, what you've been taught, the good doctrines that I've taught you, and have become convinced of them. Can I just say that one of the greatest landmarks in your personal journey is when you get to the point where there is no doubt about Jesus and what he's done for you and what he's called you to do. And can I just tell you, it's okay for you to have doubts, but it's not necessary for you to have them all your life. There is a place where you get convinced of these things. And I I have an idea that, that Paul was saying, I'm not, Timothy, you're a young man. I'm not sure you're through all your doubts yet. But you're going to get convinced of these things I've taught you. Because you know those from whom you've learned it. That's why you get convinced. You know, you can't do this disembodied. This is why it's called the body of Christ. We've got to be together for this to happen. We have to live our lives with each other, and some of us can actually start looking more enough like Jesus that people say, I'm convinced. I really believe it. And this is, you know, the Lord was always telling even the Israelites in the Old Testament, the nations, the Gentiles, laugh at me because of you. You're just like them. Isn't that exactly what happens a lot of times in the the world? They look at the church. But that's not what's going to be the, try not to teach too much here because I really want to get on this journey. But this part's really good, isn't it? And how from from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. Now this is kind of the summation of this whole thing of, of Paul talking to him about be careful. I mean, he opens the first letter of Timothy there, there's, there, I mean, this is one of the major themes of his two books. There are deceivers. There's false teachers out there. There's false truth. There's false doctrine. And you can be, you've got to be on your guard against it and against them and not let them infect the church. 
And here's, here's, the, here's the bottom line. How you immunize yourself, vaccinate yourself against these heresies and false teachings. The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right. Now, um, the last day's culture is in contrast to the darkness of the world. The church is going to be getting brighter and brighter. Now, I want to use as kind of a starting place of our journey, Babylon, or Babel, the Tower of Babel. And the reason I want to is because this is how God, you know, a lot of people love the Genesis 1 story, as do I, and they preach a lot on it, as do I. And sometimes we talk about the Noah story, and it's really significant. And then we kind of look at the story of Babel as kind of a, I don't know, children's story. I don't know how it relates to me. But in a lot of sense, and I've, I've, I got this picture out of a, is look, look at that building there. That, that's the Tower of Babel. The interesting thing it says about the Tower of Babel, they were trying to get to heaven, number one. Number two, they were making bricks instead of using stone. They wanted to make their own way to God. They didn't want to use his natural materials. He, he builds his, his temple out of living stones. That's you and me. And they were, they were God uh, said, I'm so impressed with these people. If, if they put their mind to it and they have agreement, they can do about anything they want to do. I was just reading about a futurist uh, Two or three different ones. This is in Forbes magazine. And they were talking about how by 2050, if they have the stem cell, your stem cells, they may be able to make you a new heart, new liver, uh, new lungs, all kinds of parts of your body, your new kidneys. I mean, what, what we made image bearers in the image of the creator are incredibly capable creators. But sometimes we become consolidated in evil in our creativity, which is what the experiment over there in Germany in the 1930s and 40s was with Nazi Germany. It was a mini Tower of Babel instance, and so was Marxist uh, Soviet Union. Now... um, the last day culture, and this is the final part, and I want to talk a little bit about it, allows everyone to do what's right in their own eyes. That's really one of the main hallmarks of the last day's culture. Judges 21-25 says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, we moved from truth to your truth. And, and verifiability is a word I want you to kind of think about. Classical evaluation of truth was based on verifiable facts. In fact, the word uh, 
verdict, the word verify, verifiable, the root word is a Latin word that just means that which is true. That's, that's the, the definition of it. And so we've moved from a, um, a culture that believes that and things can be objectively evaluated. Um, we've got a lot of science majors over here at um, NC State. And uh, if you try to do something that's your own truth in your chemistry lab, your professor will flunk you. Uh, but um, in the current culture we live in, everybody has their own truth. And 25 years ago, it used to be that everybody had their own truth, claims. You know, whatever is true for me is truth. But you don't have to believe my truth. But now we're, in just 25 years, we're way past that landscape of cultures. And what the culture is now saying to us, at least here in the West, is whatever is true for me is truth, but you do have to believe my truth. At least you must accept my truth to the degree that you're forbidden to challenge or disagree with my truth claims. And anyone who does is a hater and a bigot. Now, if that sounds a little deranged, well, welcome to the full-grown fruit of uh, what philosophers call post-modernity. Insanity is when your truth and my truth get together and believe that we'll have harmony even though we are both diametrically opposed. And the reason nobody can define truth is because there's nobody big enough to do it. And that's what happens when you abandon the uncreated God. So we have a bunch of Lilliputians fighting each other. When you reject the eternal God, nobody can tell you what's true. Now, we've been in the process of rejecting God for really about five or six hundred years, just gradually. <coughs> There were three classic ways of discovering truth, and I'm going to illustrate it best with a story of three umpires. Uh, the classical approach with truth is this is the umpire. He says, there's balls and there's strikes, and I call them like they are. And then there's the modern approach to truth. There's balls and there's strikes. And I call them like I see them. And then in post-modernity, we have this. There's balls and there's strikes. And they're nothing until I call them. I don't know if you got that or not. But it's subtle enough that you ought to think about it. Because what happens is... That when that happens, facts disappear, truth disappears. In fact, science disappears, gender disappears. You know what, what appears? is chaos. There's no connection to objective reality at all. The trouble is that 
If nothing is real until you call it, then you're not going to have any rules. And if you have no rules, you have no game. And if you keep changing the rules during the game, then eventually there's not a game either. And there's, a, there's no biology, there's no physics, and there's no sexuality. This explains the irony of Islam and its appeal to postmodern Europe. There's a real hunger for rules in a culture that has moved entirely into embracing this insanity, this philosophical sanity. And uh, Islam has lots of rules. Here's an observation that history tells us about. There is a very short period of time that elapses before this postmodern, crazy, philosophical approach becomes so wearisome beyond measure, and the whole society becomes engulfed in embracing totalitarianism like Islam, Islam or Nazism or Marxist communism or the Antichrist. Rules and order replace the chaos created when everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Thus we get back to real organization, order, and achievement of the consolidated Tower of Babel. And that's what's happening. Our whole culture is, keeps trying to get back to Babel. All right. Let's go back to my opening verse. These, you go, Steve, I didn't really follow some of that philosophical mumbo-jumbo, and that's okay. Let me just really simplify it. Um, These are simply, what I just talked about, the doctrines and teachings of demons. And the only thing a demonic army hates worse than each other are God's righteous saints. The righteous are their real enemy. So back to Babel, and I really want you to pay attention to what I'm saying right now. We often hear quoted, usually by people who don't like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that God is not an author of confusion. And that's absolutely true, as Paul was applying confusion inside the church of the living God. But here's a question I have for you. You remember the Tower of Babel? What did God do? It said he caused confusion of their languages. The Lord did. So confusion is not just a tool that the devil uses. It's also a tool that God uses, particularly in regard to the demonic agenda and doctrines that arise to build ungodly structures. So I want you intercessors. Anybody? We got any intercessors in here? Oh, amen. Come on. Let's, any intercessors in here? Okay, we're going to have to work on. Wow, okay. All right. So listen up, intercessors. We need to spend less time praying against these movements that are thoroughly antichrist and demonic, and as frustrating and angering as they may be. We need to change our prayers, asking God to send confusion and conflict within the ranks of the demonic powers behind these movements. Remember what I said, the only thing demons hate more than each other are the righteous. And when we ask the Lord to intervene and send confusion in the enemy's camp, we get on solid ground. 
when we pray against people that Jesus died for, we're the ones that are confused. All right. The, the lions and tigers or bears are out there, and I hate it when preachers just kind of leave me. Oh, no, the world is bad. Well, let's, let's talk about how we're going we're gonna to finish the race, how we're going to endure, how we're going to actually accomplish this. So where am I in life's journey? So this is kind of the, the beginning of the map to the end of the map. We know where the end of the map is. It's a journey to the Father. We're, and, and our whole life is journeying toward Him. <coughs> But what is part of the... So I want us to throw up the stages of pilgrimage. Now, some of you... And, and, and let me just... Let me kind of... Uh, we kind of covered this last year. Some of you were here and you heard this. But this is like the big picture. This is the panorama. You know, the panorama view it starts over there and goes over there. And your little camera can go like this. And it makes a beautiful panoramic picture. And it's like, I, had, I couldn't even see that part. But in my, in my panoramic thing that iPhone can now do, it's amazing. Well, that's what I'm doing here. This is the panoramic. And, and it's, I've kind of used the um, mnemonic d- disciple. We're, we're about discipleship here. So these are kind of stages of your life. Or landmarks is the word I used here. The landmarks of, is D I S. I-P-L-E, disciple. So first we get devoted to Jesus. That's our first step. We, we, we have to meet Jesus. If somebody says to me, you know, I've never had anything supernatural ha- happen in my life, then that's a good clue they've never met Jesus. It's just really simple. He, he changes you when you, you encounter him. I mean, John Wesley was like that. He'd come, become a missionary in America and discovered he hadn't really met Jesus. So it's, it's not un, that unusual, and the church needs to be saved all over again. So let's not assume people who have been in church all their life know Jesus. The second thing is they begin to get identity and foundations of the faith. I'm not going to teach this. I'm just showing you. These are stages of your life, and sometimes they might take years. I know Christians that have been 30, 40 years have never gotten past I. And then there's service and ministry. A lot of times we jump I and go to service and ministry because, you know, we want to get everybody busy doing stuff. But here's the, here's the, here's, I've got this, cri- this wall, and that's called a crisis. The crisis of faith, you get burned out, you get tired, you get mad, you get hurt, you get wounded, you get tempted, you fall. I, you know, it doesn't matter what the crisis is. It, it's it's going to happen. It's really interesting in this great this endurance race, this great race, this, the toughest race in the world. They told them there is a thousand meter cliff that you're going to have to climb. You can't avoid it. You've got to go through that. There's a wall every one of us hit in our walk with Jesus. And that wall is usually accompanied by failure and despair and discouragement and a desire to quit. And the reason that happens is because God has an objective and he wants you to develop an inner life. And most of us as young believers have an exterior life. 
we're actually living off of our spiritual parents' energy and values, and we've not really been convinced in the deepest part of us, and that's okay. That's how children develop. But at some place, you begin to develop an inner life. Then you begin to get the power of a spirit-led life that takes you into the level of beginning to really learn how to love. Love your brother and your sister, and you love yourself, and you then learn to love your enemies. And then finally, you start entering Christ's likeness. And the reason I've got it as a circle is because, uh, uh, guess what? There's round one, there's round two, there's round three. And you know, you still have to go through, the Lord goes, you know, Lord, I, I got my identity out of my, I really knew I was a, a son of God, but when I, when I got fired from that job, my world fell apart, which means I had all my identity in that position, in that title, in that paycheck. I didn't have my identity in you fully. You hit a wall because the Lord wanted to point out, you know, you got some identity that needs to happen in your life, okay? I'm laying some, I'm laying some new foundations. But you say, well, okay, Steve, what does that have to do with the journey? Well, see, this is the long part of the journey. And, and by the way, here's, here's what uh, part of the reason I'm telling you this, the way I'm telling you this today is because I want every one of you in this room to someday be race managers. You're the ones that oversee the race. You're the ones that get people through the race. And it's hard to do that if you don't understand how the race works. So there's a journey. Let's go to the, the, the uh, fourth part of our talk today. Where am I in the church? Where am I in the church? I'm going to use a, a graphic here. We call it the five spheres of church. <clears throat> I, I, I heard Jimmy Seibert share this. He called it the five circles. I've changed it. Uh, not because it's better, but just it, it makes a little more sense to me. And I think it hopefully will make more sense to you. I'd love for you to try it out. But right in the middle, we have the individual relation. And by the way, we're going to begin the next, this, today I'm starting a series where we're going to actually cover each one of these five. But I'm just giving you an overview. The reason I'm giving you an overview is like, okay, so what does this have to do with this journey? Well, these five spheres of church are found in the Bible. And they're pretty obvious once you think about it. The first sphere is your individual relationship with Jesus. How many of you have ever said, I don't really like church. I'm just going to follow Jesus by myself. <laughs> I have. Well, I'll, I don't want to tell you how that turned out. Okay. Then there's the D group. We call them D groups. John Wesley called them band meetings. They were meetings of three, four, maximum five people of the same gender. Yes, we believe in gender. Uh, and we believe in sex, too. Um, Amen. Uh, can I get a? I couldn't get one on intercessors. At least we get one on. on. All right. Oh, 
I got a Bible verse here we need, that really is, is critical. We've been talking about this other truth out there. Well, the scripture, the pillar and the foundation of truth, here's what the Bible definition is. The pillar, that's the load-bearing wall, and the foundation, that's what the, that's what the pillar is on, of truth, is the church of the living God. Oh my goodness, Lord, let me consult with you. Do you know how messed up the church is? Lord says, no, the foundation and the pillar of truth is the church. Can I just tell you, his plan A, B, C, and D is the church. Now, I can just tell you, I know how to be a critic of the church, but he's not asking me to be a critic. He's asking me to be a friend of the bridegroom. He's asking me to help prepare the bride for him. That's our job. It's not to be critical of all the churches around here. Let me just tell you, it's not us and them. It's just us. Okay? It's just us. Well, you know, they don't believe in this, that thing that we really know is really one of the most important things. I don't care. Jesus loves them. They call him his. Yeah, but, but they get things wrong. Are you kidding me? We get things wrong. <laughs> let's, let's clothe ourselves in humility. All right. Here's another. Oh, this is a good one. God reveals his multifaceted. I like that word better than manifold. That's really what manifold means. I, I looked it up. Multifaceted wisdom of God to the evil principalities and powers. God wants to show off his church to those people. That's why his people need to start praying that confusion comes to the enemy instead of to us and the rest of the world. We are in a, a cosmic conflict with principalities and powers. And that's not the purpose here, but it's these concentric circles that I'm drawing up here If you try to do church just in one of these circles, you will not make it to the end of the road. The gathered meeting, that's what we're doing here. Notice, it's it's just one of five. I mean, the first thing we talked about before I got up here was life groups. You go, well, I don't have time for life groups. Yeah, you do. It's like the story of a guy said, I'm just too busy for this discipleship group. Then he met a girl. And he found all kinds of time. (laughs) What you love, and the Lord says, you need to love God's people. Yeah, yeah, but do you know God's people? Yeah. Uh, That's that's those crisis walls (laughs) sometimes. (laughs) Okay. So, so this, this is the church on mission, the gathered meeting, the life group, the D group, the individual relationship. Can I just say, these are, another way of saying this is, that's kind of like the, the factory floor, to use another metaphor. This is where God, the scripture says, we make disciples. 
you know, I'm a, I'm a modern man. When I think of making stuff, I think about manufacturing. So let me, let me use manufacturing as kind of the metaphor. We're manufacturing Christians. It sounds a little impersonal, but, but I think about the fact that we, we think about, are we doing a good job of discipling people? Are we training them in the basics? Are they beginning to learn the things they need to learn? And this is where this happens. So where what happens? Well, let's go to the next slide. Where am I in the discipleship process? Uh, we have, for the last couple of years, talked a lot about discipleship. And uh, the slide that I want, to look, want you to look at here is what we call the five D's of a devoted disciple. And we use this, again, as a mnemonic way to remember, uh, decided, delivered, the, uh, discipled, uh, disciplined, excuse me, developed and deployed. And under each one of those are just a wealth of teaching. So you got repentance, faith, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, community, church. That's just in the D. And again, why is it decided in a circle? Excuse me? Why is it in a circle? Because do you know what the, in the, Samuel set up a stone and it was called an Ebenezer stone. And it was a stone of remembrance. And he said, people of Israel, we need to remember this day. And you know what Ebenezer stands for? What it means? God has helped me thus far. That's what it means. And we need to have Ebenezer stones. Can I just tell you that in the last couple of months, I've had some decideds. And I've been following Jesus now, I think it's 48 years. I had a decided. I, I, there's delivered, I, you know, getting set free, freer and freer. Discipline, learning. You know, I'm learning the absolute joy of silence. I've, you know, silence. Allowing the God who speaks in whispers to speak to you. It's amazing. It's a discipline I haven't had a, as much experience with as I wish I had had and somebody had taught me and equipped me in 40 years ago. That was something for Catholics. <laughs> just, just had to throw that in there for free. Okay, um, the point is, so what is this? You know what this is? This is the process on the factory floor. So let me go back to my great race, my endurance race. Let's talk about, let's tie all this together and you go, okay, Steve, I think I'm starting to get it a little bit, but I'm not sure I completely get it. Here's the big picture. We have lions and tigers and bears that we have to go through. Um, we have to go through really tough territory. There, it's a territory occupied by the giants. Remember me talking about the children of Israel and going in, and there were seven nations that they had to displace, seven people that the Israelites were so impressed with that they decided they didn't want to go in. 
They were more impressed with them than they were of God. And that's the territory that we're having to go. And right now, it's the de rigor, it's the, it's the, it's the uh, uh, de jour, the soup of the day, okay? Uh, deconstruction. How many of you have heard about deconstruction in the church? I mean, the church is being deconstructed. Well, welcome to an ancient and old heresy. They did what was right in their own eyes way back about uh, eh, 3,600 years ago. It's, there's nothing new. This is old hat. It's got a new label, new marketing, but it's the same garbage. It, the, the devil has a playbook, and he, do, he doesn't have a creative bone in his body. He just goes, well, I can try that play again. And, you know, we, we bite it because we don't know history and we don't read our Bibles. But doing what is right in your own eyes is a good way to really get bamboozled. And that's what's happened. So a lot of people quit going to church during COVID. And they go, well, you know, I didn't get much out of it. You're not supposed to get much out of it. You're supposed to give. You're supposed to be contributing. You're supposed to be pouring your life out for others. That's, that's, that's not... <laughs> okay. Then there's, then there's this, so that's, that's kind of the territory that we, we're, our pilgrimage is going through. The second part is, um, we got to know where we're going. And where we're going has obstacles, it's got opportunities, it's got growth in it, and it's, it's all about us getting to the point where we can endure an endurance race. Brent and I looked at that thing and we go, I think I would have died. And if they'd have given me a hundred days, I'm not sure I could have done it. You know? Because, you know, what was so, so amazing is they would, they, would, they would hike for 46 kilometers. Brenda's pointing at the... I've, I've got four minutes to wrap up here. I'm, <laughs> four... Four, they'd, they'd hike 46 kilometers. How do you hike 46 kilometers uphill with no trail in the jungle? That's what they did. Then they had the pleasure of biking 70 miles, and they got dragging into their camp at night, and the team that won, you know what they did? They said, change your clothes, clean us up, we're going out. And they got on a raft in the middle of the night down rapids with their headlamps on down class four and class five rapids. Now, let me just tell you something. As I'm watching that, the Lord said, that's what I want out of my church. I want people that never stop. They have endurance. That's what that word means, endurance. The ability to not do anything but wear the devil out. So, what's the five spheres of church? Those are my teammates. They're the ones I'm utterly... De- you know, I know we, we just sang this morning, worship band, I'm not trying to correct your theology, but we do need somebody else. I get that Jesus is the... He's it, He's everything. But guess what He said? If you don't love your brother and sister, you don't love me. So, in a way, 
he's not the only thing. He is the, he's the only thing that counts, and he's the originator. I get the whole theology behind it, but I'm just trying to get us this. See, a lot of us have this me and Jesus attitude, and I get that at it. We're Americans. We're independent by God. That's the spirit of the world, not the spirit of the kingdom. So that's the five circles of church, or the five spheres of church. And then where am I in this discipleship process? Where am I on this journey? And you know, here's the interesting thing. Uh, I think the five spheres of church kind of are simultaneous. Sometimes I'm, I'm Every one of us must have a personal walk with Jesus every day. We need to find time to be with Jesus. We need to make him the center of our life. That's absolutely essential. When we teach that here a lot, we focus on that. And we need to have brothers and sisters that are two or three that we really know we can can be real with. And we need a smaller group, a little bit bigger group that really knows us well. And they know us not only our name, but they know our kids' names. We need those kind of relationships. And then we need to be on mission to the world. Oh, yeah, and you can do this too. And I say it kind of that way. You know, my mentors here, and I've said it to you many times, no one's ever been discipled from, the, from a pulpit. What you do get is kind of big picture understanding of what God's doing. In a way, that's part of it. Hopefully you get more than that. But, but it's, it's, you know, here's the interesting thing about that endurance race. They had the maps. They saw the early part of the map. They'd get on the trail, and they'd get disoriented. And they'd waste two hours going in the wrong direction before they started going, wait a minute. We missed our turnoff. And the navigator's like, you're not a very good navigator. Well, every team did that. Every single team did that. But I'm hoping that I've got a lot of really good navigators coming up out of here. And then finally, here's the interesting thing. If you guys ever, if you look at your, your Google Maps, most of us use GPS these days. And when you, you go, uh, I'll say, Brenda, where's Starbucks? I need a process called Starbucks. And then I need, need, where's a hotel? And if my car's not working, I need another process. It's called a mechanic. And so part of the, part of this whole, you know, they, they busted a derailleur on the back of a mountain bike that they were, had a 70 mile ride on and they had to find this derailleur. And so one of the other teams loaned it to them, one of their competitors, because the whole point of everybody was can I just cross the line? Can I just say to you, that's really the goal. It's not to win. It's to get across the line to Mount Zion, to our Father in heaven, so that he can reward us on that day for a, a race well run. Let's pray. Father, we, um, some of us are out of shape, 
Some of us don't know where we're really going. We've, we thought we were going to church. Church is just the vehicle to get us to where we're going. Lord, we ask that you would mobilize every person in this auditorium, no matter what life stage they are, that they would get their running shoes and shorts and their backpack with water in it, and they would get in the long endurance race. Lord, I just pray for every person here that's never decided to be a part of the race. If there's anybody here like that, that they realize that uh, the world is not a good place for them and that really, Jesus, you are all there is that has life. In you are the words of life. So I want to I want to invite the elders and some life group leaders up. Let's come forward. And I I just want, if if you have anything you want to be prayed for, if you want to talk about what it means to really get into the race of following Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. And here's an interesting thing. He said, this is in the context of him talking about a house. He said, you know, guys, I'm, I'm getting ready to leave. And if I go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. For in my father's house, in his dwelling place, are many other dwelling places. And I'm going to go prepare those for you. Now, I just want you to think for a minute. You go, yeah, okay, Steve, I've heard that verse before. And then Jesus explains, I am the way. And the truth and the life were kind of bonus points. His main point is, I'm the way to get to that place. I'm the way to get to that place. If you, if I told you that there is a hundred million dollar mansion in the mountains of Colorado, overlooking one of the most beautiful lakes backlit by one of the most amazing, majestic mountain vistas you've ever seen in your life. And it's yours if you'll pack up your backpack and start walking toward Colorado and make it in the next 20 days. It's only worth $100 million. I don't think any of you would be very motivated. I guess you would, wouldn't you? I, I'd go, I'm going to lose some weight in the next 20 days. <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going after this. That's what, the, we've got somebody just like that preparing a place for us. You get that? He's preparing a place for us. It says, Moses, who left Babylon, is looking for a place whose builder and architect was God, the Father. So please, let's rise. If you have any need today, we, we believe in prayer for the sick. Please come forward. And I really mean that. I, I, find, I, I hear, oh, so-and-so's got a really bad fit. And I go, have they come and gotten prayer yet? Please, get prayer. God bless you.